I'm in Isaiah chapter 1, if you could turn there with me. Isaiah chapter 1 will be there momentarily. The title of my message is, Would You Rather? Would You Rather? You know, during uh, quarantine time, uh, we had uh, we, Brother Judah and, and, and me and my son John, the three of us, we would produce a video. I say produce a video. I think there was a, you know, an iPhone involved in Instagram, uh, but that was our studio. But anyways, we produced what we call daily impact videos because we weren't able to have the teenagers at the school. And, and so every day we would produce one of these videos and we would uh, meet together. And, and uh, normally Brother Judah would have to be on the radio at like 1030. And so we'd meet at eight o'clock in the morning and uh, we'd, we'd actually start on the video about quarter to 10. You know, we'd waste all this time and talk about what we were going to talk about, and then we would have to rush. But normally, and I shouldn't, shouldn't say normally, but oftentimes we would start the video with a would you rather. And my son John would throw out one of these would you rathers that were, that he and I didn't know what the question would be. But a would you rather is a question that's posed, and you have to choose between one of the, or the other. A would you rather, okay? So... I know it's Sunday evening, and maybe for you it's been a long day, but ready for some mental exercise, okay? Would you rather, you ready? Would you rather be covered with fur or be covered with scales? Now, if you're sitting there and thinking, Brother Woosley, neither. That's not part of the game, okay? You have to choose. It is fur or scales. You understand? Would you rather be covered with fur or covered with scales? Do you have an answer? you have it? How many of you, you'd rather be covered with fur? Let me see. Oh, I think furs probably have it. How many of you, you'd rather be covered with scales? Now, yeah, it's pretty close. Okay, but the furs have it. And I, I pick scales, personally, but I would want my wife covered with fur. I wouldn't want to be married to a woman covered with scales. Come to think of it, I wouldn't want to be married to a woman covered with fur, but like I said, that's not part of the game. It's would you rather, so... Okay, here's another one for you. And this one, is, this is my favorite, my favorite would you rather, okay? And this one is controversial, so let's see, see what you think. Would you rather lose the ability to taste your food or lose your ability to see in color? So you understand, you can't taste your food. You can still eat, but you can't taste your food. And you can still see... But everything is like an Andy Griffith show, okay? There's no, no, the black and white Andy Griffith show, okay? There's, nothing is in color. Do you understand the question? So would you rather lose your ability to taste your food or lose your ability to see in color? Got your answer? How many of you, you would rather lose your ability to taste your food? Raise your hand. This, call, this was controversial because... I would lose the ability to taste my food, but not Brother Judah. And it was a heated conversation on Daily Impact that day. How many of you would rather lose the ability to see in color? You don't want people messing with your food. You want to be able to taste your food. Okay. How many of you, you lost the ability to taste your food during COVID? At some point, you had COVID. How many of you raising your hand? How many of you, you never want to do that again? Raise your hand. I, I found that to be true. When I asked that question, those that lost the ability to taste their food during COVID say, I would never want to do that again. Okay, last one. Last one. Would you rather eat good food or be killed with a sword? 
Now you're laughing, I think that's because that's not a very good would you rather, is it? Would you rather eat good food or get killed with a sword? You would, you would look at that and say, Brother Woosley, that is not even a good question. That is what we would call a, a no-brainer, okay? I would want to eat good food. I would rather not be killed with the sword. I want you to notice a verse here in Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 19 and 20 of Isaiah chapter 1 and, and notice these two verses with me. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So would you rather eat good food or be killed with the sword? Do you see it there? And it even finishes by the Lord saying, the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. You know, I'm really not trying to make light of the word of God, but I'm going to tell you, it reminds me of the Wizard of Oz when the wizard behind the curtain says, the great and powerful wizard has spoken. You remember that part? Okay, and, and, and God in that way is stating powerfully, would you rather eat good food or get killed with the sword? Well, if you are willing and obey, you'll eat good food. If you refuse and rebel, you're going to be devoured by the sword, it says, right? You just looked at it. I, the Lord, have spoken it. And as true as it was in Isaiah's day, it is just as true in our day. Do you want to see good days? Do you want to enjoy life? Of course you do. Well, we're going to look at this passage of Scripture because there's two verses in front of it, I think, that, that help us understand how is it that I can have that good thing and not the bad thing. Let's pray and we'll look at this passage. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the many blessings that we enjoy. So many of which we've already talked about this morning. I think of camp, the camp that you gave our young people this past week. Lord, uh, we've prayed for that for many weeks, and you met and did a work in their lives. And, and Lord, that is a work that only you can do. We love our young people, but Lord, you have to do a work in their hearts. And Lord, as we look forward to uh, our BC&D young people going to camp, Lord, please be with that week. We ask for your blessing on it. And Lord, as we look forward to the next few minutes, Lord, please bless your word and help us as we look at this passage of scripture, help us to make sense of it. And Lord, help us to allow it to make a difference in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We started in verse number 19. I think you get the idea, the would you rather. We're going to back up and we're going to look at verse 17. I'm sorry, we're going to look at verse 16, 17, and 18 and get a running start now into verse 19 and 20. Let's start with verse 16 now. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Look at verse 17. Learn to do well. Seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Notice verse 18, what a good verse. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Number one. Make you clean. 
That's God's phraseology there, okay, not mine. Make you clean. You know, I've heard a good parent, Dr. Tom Vogel, I remember him saying more than once, don't do for your kids what they can do for themselves. And that's, 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 that's good teaching there. Don't do for your kids what they can do for themselves. God is our Heavenly Father. And I think He knows that. And very rarely will God do for you what you're supposed to do for yourself. And He won't do for me what I'm supposed to do for myself. And that command is to me. Make you clean. I know I understand David's prayer, Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. A good prayer. But I could take you to another passage that David wrote. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? You remember? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. That is my responsibility to make me clean. It is your responsibility to make you clean. Isn't it interesting the way that God puts that? Wash you. Make you clean. Hey, would you rather eat good food or get killed with the sword? You remember that? Okay, we're talking about that. Well, if you chose the obvious one, the number one, I have to make me clean. You have to make you clean. Pastor Wilkerson says there's a few things that every Christian has to do for himself, right? One of those, he'll say, you got to fulfill your family role, right? He would say, I have to be the oldest son to my mom. You remember? He would say those things. And one of those is, you have to be pure for yourself. Nobody can be clean for you. You must be clean yourself. Well, let's think about that for a moment. Being clean, that's a daily activity, right? You can't say, I took a shower once and think that, you're clean. Okay, well, you can think that, but that would not be accurate. If you don't believe me, ask those sitting around you, okay? It is a daily activity. It is a constant work to be clean, isn't it? If you're going to make yourself clean, you didn't make yourself clean two years ago and be clean today. It is a constant activity. A few years ago, I took my, my three sons and I and, and my dad the five of us, we went to Michigan. We stayed in a, a fishing cabin in Michigan and fished uh, on this lake. And it was a lake uh, the Vogels have been here. Dr. Vogel told me about this lake and just had a, had a great week. Just a really good time. Before we left, Dr. Vogel, uh, he gave me a lure. And he'd been to this, it's called Bass Lake, and you'll never guess, but there's bass in it. Okay, and we went bass fishing in Bass Lake, and there's a lot of bass at that lake. And my son John was probably about 17, Joe was probably about 11 or 12, and, and Jeff was only maybe about four or five. And we went, and we went fishing. Brother Vogel gave us this lure, we call it the Brother Vogel lure to this day. It catches, ca catches more bass than any lure I've, I've ever used. And we caught a bunch of fish, had a great time. We came back after the weekend, and uh, I was in my bedroom, but I could hear my wife out in the living room, and she was unpacking. My son Jeff brought his duffel bag home from the trip, and he was, she was unpacking his bag, you know, getting the, the dirty clothes out, and, and she said, Jeff, did you fold these clothes? And I remember thinking, huh. Yeah, Jeff, did you fold those clothes? You know, I wasn't in the living room. I was in the bedroom, but I hear this conversation. And then it dawned on her, before it dawned on me, 
She said, Jeff, did you change your clothes? <laughs> Jeff, did you take a shower? You know, Jeff's four or five, and of course he was, with, he was with me all week. And so what's going through my mind is, Jeff, you didn't change your clothes? You didn't? I think I'm in big trouble. Okay, that, that's what was going through my mind. Jeff, as she's digging deeper in this bag, did you change your underwear? Okay, then it started. Jeff, did you take a shower? Did you brush your teeth? And I couldn't hear Jeff answering, so I think he's just, you know, shaking his head back and forth. And guess what? I was in trouble, you know? And guys, just to finish the story, I could go one of two directions. Either I have to go the direction of, what's the big deal? You know, we're camping. We're guys camping. Or I have to go the direction of, yes, I messed up. I, I didn't pay attention to my four-year-old son. So you know what direction I went, right? <laughs> what's the big deal, Leah? We are camping. That's what boys do. When, and I got about that far into it, and I thought, you know what? I can't even argue this point of view. That's gross, okay? He, he should have taken a shower. My fault. And you know what? If you took a shower last week, don't think you're clean today. Because it is a daily activity. When God says, make you clean, that is my responsibility. Will the Lord help me? Sure, I think the Lord would give me strength. But remember, a good parent won't do for his children what they can do for themselves. And I think the Lord looks at me and he expects me to take heed according to his word and make me clean. It's a daily activity. Secondly, when it comes to make me clean, if I'm going to be clean, I can't live in the dirt. Right? I can't get clean and then go roll around in the mud, even if I get clean every day, I need to stay out of the dirt of this world. Would you agree with that? I had a dog growing up. His name was Albert. And this dog, to this day, I think, in an affection, and I mean this with all affection, probably the ugliest dog that I've ever seen. Albert was a, a dirty white with black spots, almost like a Holstein cow, if you can picture that. And Albert looked like a tube with, with legs. Uh, you know, not like a dachshund, because dachshunds are kind of cute. That, Albert was nothing, nothing cute about Albert, okay? But Albert was my dog. And, and Albert had a charm about him. Uh, Albert, I remember Albert used to bark. And we lived next to this block building. Uh, and, and he would bark, and it, the noise would bounce and echo off that block building. And so Albert would bark and bark and bark, and then when he stopped barking, it would echo, and he'd look over there. <laughs> like, where's that dog? I, I hear him over there. And he'd bark and bark and bark. And always looking for that dog. He would bark and look over there for that dog. And Albert, even though he wasn't, you know, the handsomest dog, Albert was a bit of a ladies' man. Uh, Albert just was. And Albert would be over at one of his girlfriend's house in the neighborhood, and I would yell for Albert, and Albert would always come running because normally it meant food. And remember I told you how Albert's was kind of a tube with legs? And when Albert would come running, we had a, a big field next to our house, and it kind of sloped down just a little bit. And it, and it sloped down in such a way that sometimes when Albert was coming, sometimes his back feet would catch up with his front feet, and he'd be running side 
sideways, hoping for food, you know, seeing the house. That was just Albert. And I remember one time my brother Jeff and I got the bright idea that Albert needed a bath. And you know what? Albert needed a bath. And we didn't even take Albert into the house. We had one of those kiddie pools, and we got the Dawn dish soap and took it outside with the hose. I'm probably about sixth grade. And so we get Albert, and my older brother is holding, kind of wrestling Albert in the kiddie pool, and I'm getting getting him all wet. We got the Dawn dish soap and lathered Albert all up. and, And you know what? He was just as ugly when we got done as when we started. He was still that dirty Holstein cow, white color. But you know, as soon as we got done with Albert, it was a hot summer day. There were no puddles around. There was no mud around. But as soon as he got out of that pool, you know what he did? Some of you know what he did. He went right over to the dirt, which was just dry dirt. And started rubbing around. And that water, you know, and that wet fur made his own little mud puddle there. And I remember him getting up and looking at me and my brother like, what? What's wrong with you guys, you know? You know, you cannot be clean and play in the mud. If you're going to make you clean, hey, you want to eat good food or get killed by the sword, right? You know, or would you rather? Then I must make me clean. How do I do that? Daily. How do I do that? Stay out of the mud. I have to stay out of the filth of this world. You know, so many good people, very sincere. They want to be clean. They want to have a relationship with their heavenly father. You know, I think of James chapter 3, wisdom from above is first pure. First pure. Then it's peaceable and easily entreated and those other things. But first, it's pure. And if something in your head tells you that I can allow this sin in my life and that will be okay, that is not wisdom from above. It is not. Because wisdom from above is first pure. Do you want to eat good food? Number one make you clean. If it's going to make you clean, if you are going to make you clean, it is a daily activity to work to be clean. Work to stay out of the mud. Number two, verse number 17 starts out by learning, learn to do well. You see that statement? Learn to do well. A very important statement and very specific wording by God there. Learn to do well. How many of you, you understand that there is a difference between learning what's right to do and doing what's right? Will you agree with that? Normally, our problem, and I know it's not everybody in the room, but to a Sunday night crowd, our problem is not knowing what's right. It's doing what's right. Right? And that verse doesn't tell me, hey, you need to learn about the Word of God. That's not what it says. It says learn to do well. Learn to take what you know to be right and do it. If you want to have a good life, I can't live foolishly. I can't live in contradiction to the Word of God. I can't do foolish things and have a good life. Do you agree with that? Does that make sense? That verse tells me First of all, I need to make myself clean. Secondly, I have to learn to do well. One of the most difficult things that I ever, I've ever coached a young man to do 
is hit a baseball. Just in general, hitting a baseball is a difficult thing. And especially as the young men get older and now they're on varsity, the varsity baseball team, and now all of a sudden they have somebody that can throw a curveball, that is the most difficult thing to teach a young man to do, to hit a curveball. Because here's what happens. They're batting and they see fastball. They're strike one, okay? And then they see fastball. That's strike two. Now they got two strikes, right? No balls, two strikes. And they're thinking, man, I'm going to smack this one. I'm not going to strike out. And they step fastball, and all of a sudden, here comes a curveball. And if you've ever seen, and you, you watch Major League Baseball players, they, these, these highly paid, trained baseball players, they, a good curveball will make them look like a retarded tortoise. You know, they, they, they start to swing because they're stepping fastball, and they start to swing, and like, oh, no, it's a curveball. You know, and they, they look so awkward, and it's such an ugly position to put yourself in. And, and really, when a young man learns to throw a curveball, and there, there are young men in this room that I have personally told them, don't laugh. Okay? If you can throw a curveball and the batter swings and misses and he does look like that retarded tortoise, don't laugh. Okay? That's not good sportsmanship. But it is funny. And, and the pitcher knows the curveball is coming. The batter does not. And that is a problem for the batter. Okay? Let me tell you how to hit a curveball. If you, if you have no balls and two strikes, you have to step fastball. Because if you don't, can I show you what's going to happen? If you don't step fastball, and it's a fastball, if you're thinking, oh, he's throwing a curve, and so you're looking for a curveball, and he throws a fastball, can I show you what happens? Oh, because it's right by you, right? Because you were looking curveball. So you step fastball, and if you think, oh, it's a curveball, you see my hands? Keep your hands back. And then you know what you do? You wait for that slow curveball to come in, and you hit it hard, okay? That's how you hit a curveball. You step fastball, keep your hands back, and you, you smack that curveball. Now, you know why I told you that? John Borsch, have I taught you how to hit a curveball? Okay. There are other men and there are other young men in this room, my sons, they've heard that speech. I've taught them how to hit a curveball. John, let me tell you something. I'm a little embarrassed to share this with you. I can't hit a curveball. If you were to throw me a curveball, you know what I would look like? A retarded tortoise, that's right. That's what I would look like. Hey, let me tell you something. I have taught multiple young men how to hit a curveball. And by the way, I have been successful in teaching them how to hit a curveball. But I have never learned to hit a curveball. I've learned how to hit a curveball. But I've never learned to do it. Two things. Some of us, we've taught others how to forgive. We know Ephesians 4.32, right? Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Because they deserve it? No. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Hey, we've taught others that. Just like I taught Jonathan Borsch to hit a curveball. Do you forgive? We hear our pastor 
And, and if you're not convicted when the pastor talks about witnessing and soul winning, then you must be the Apostle Paul, okay? But with, to hear pastor talk about his witness, and I've been with him, I've seen it, that, that he is the real deal. We, hear, we have a pastor that is such a good example, and we teach others, hey, you need to be a witness for Christ. Can you tell somebody how they can know for sure they're going to heaven? Hey, I know those verses. Do you? I bet you do. Okay. Have you learned to do it? Do you do that? Okay, here's one. I bet you there's not a young person old enough to be sitting in the auditorium that doesn't know I'm supposed to obey mom and dad. Great. That's good. That's a good first step. Now learn to do it well. Hey, and by the way, young people, that's one you want to get good at. Because you're promised it will be well with you if you learn to do that. You want to learn how to do that one well. So it will be well with you. But do you understand the difference between knowing what's right to do and doing it? This point convicts me. Many of us are teachers. And if we're not careful, we will get good at teaching what's right to do and not learning to do it well. Let me, let me pause here for just a moment. I know we're talking about the would you rather, and, and this is point number two. Hey, what comes to your mind? And it's not hitting a curveball. What is a spiritual truth that maybe the Holy Spirit speaks to you like, you know what, I've taught others about that, and I know I'm supposed to do that, and I haven't gotten good at that. Hey, do you know why I'm not good at hitting a curveball? In, in my entire life, I bet you I have seen five curveballs. I think I've missed all five of them, okay? But I haven't seen a lot of them. You know, if I want to get good at hitting a curveball, you know what I need to do, right? You know what I need to do? I need to get a bat, and I need to get maybe Coach Harry White or someone else who I know can throw a curveball, and I need to stand in the batter's box, and I need to swing at curveballs, right? That's how you learn to do something. So you know what? The next time the Holy Spirit tells you you need to witness to that person, you know what you do? Maybe you feel like a retarded tortoise pulling out a track and witnessing, and it's not as, as easy as maybe Pastor Wilkerson makes it look. But you need to learn to do it, right? I need to do that. And if I'm going to learn to do it well, then I have to do it. Right? I can't just talk about it. I can't just memorize how to do it. I need to practice doing it. In my life, maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's being separated from the world. We know that's a biblical command from Genesis to Revelation. It's all through Scripture that I am supposed to be different from the world. Well, if I'm going to be good at that, guess what? I just need to do it. I need to learn to do it well. How about honesty? about just being honest? How about anger, right? I, I need to learn to do well. And there is a big difference between knowing what's right and doing what's right. We know what is right. We need to get good at doing it. Number one, make you clean. Number two, learn to do well. Number three, help others. If you notice... Verse number 17 says, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Do you recognize there, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Those all have to do with looking out for other people, don't they? Do you see that? I think of Galatians chapter 6 
where it tells me to fulfill the law of Christ. Does that, does that sound familiar? Boy, I bet you, even if that doesn't sound familiar, that sounds important, doesn't it? <laughs> Whatever the law of Christ is, I probably, ought to, I probably ought to do that one, right? Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ, that's loving your neighbor as yourself. Remember Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you. That's why it's called the law of Christ, to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, knowing our church and knowing you just like you know me. You know, I'd like to think that we're not bad people. We're good people. We, we, we want to eat the good of the land. We want the Lord to be pleased and happy with our lives. We want, we want to be a good example for the next generation. We want to pass on our faith to them, right? All those things. Do you know why oftentimes good people like that, you know why sometimes I am not bearing somebody else's burdens? Because I'm just not paying attention. Hey, if, if you want to eat good food and not get killed with a sword, okay, those are our options. I have to make myself clean, learn to do well, and then I have to help others. Look out for others. You know, Pastor, when he's in town, he'll come to our basketball games and whenever... Uh, he's in the gym. I always ask him if he'll sit on the bench. And sometimes he does. He doesn't always. But oftentimes he'll sit on the bench. And for some of you who've played basketball for Hammond Baptist or you come to the games, you, you, you would probably recognize this. But, but Pastor, when it comes to basketball, he has a pet peeve. And that's when a player doesn't pass the ball. Okay? It'll frustrate him. And I've heard him yell at players, our good, godly, just Christ-like pastor. Yell at teenage boys, pass the ball! You know, you can sense the frustration, you know, and, and, and not very pastorally at all. You know, the coach comes out of him and I'm like, yeah, yeah, do what he said. Pass the ball, you know. And what will happen is a young man is dribbling the ball and all of a sudden he gets two defenders on him. And so you know what his first reaction is oftentimes is to put his head down because he's worried about, about his problem, which are these two guys trying to take the ball from him. And he doesn't notice that he has teammates wide open with nobody guarding them. So why doesn't he pass them the ball? Is he selfish? I mean, I mean, he could be selfish, but most cases, no. It's not because he's selfish. Just like in your case, the reason you don't help others, it might be because you're selfish, but in most cases, no, it's not because you're selfish. Your head's down. Right? You have your own problems. And by the way, you do. And I have my own problems. We have stuff in our own lives. We have, we're bearing our own burdens. And the Bible says, no, no, no. Yeah, you should bear your own burden, but also bear you one another's burdens. And I've heard pastor, he'll start, he'll, he'll call the young man's name and say, pass the ball, pass the ball, pass the ball. And then the ball will get taken from him. And he'll say his name again and say, pass the ball. You know, he'll get frustrated because he doesn't pass the ball. You know why he doesn't? It's because his head is down. You know, sometimes I'll hear from the stands that, you know, the word ball hog. Have you ever heard that? Ball hog, because he's not passing the ball. But the reason he's not passing the ball is because he doesn't have his head up. Hey, number three, if, if I want to eat good food, according to this passage of Scripture, I need to have my head up. I need to be looking at the people God has for me to help. As I finish, that next verse says, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, right? Though your sins be as scarlet, 
shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Hey, if you obey and you're willing, you'll eat the good of the land. If you refuse and rebel, you get devoured with the sword. I, the Lord, have spoken it. So you want to eat good food. Let's reason together. Make you clean, right? It's our responsibility. Learn to do well. There's a big difference between knowing what's right and doing what's right. I have to do what's right. Number three, help others. So fulfill the law of Christ. You know, I went camping with my son Jeff last week. And I imagine we lost half a dozen fishing lures. We had two Brother Vogel lures. And my son Jeff lost both of them within about 45 minutes. My sons, they laugh at me because I, I, I throw my, my fishing lure into trees often. And the reason is because I know where the bass is right under that tree. I know in my heart, he's there. He's under that tree. And I'm bound and determined to drop it in that perfect spot. And, you know, throwing my lure is, is something else that I didn't learn to do well. Kind of like the curveball, okay? And anyways, it ends up in a, in a tree. And we lost probably half a dozen lures. There's, you know, the, 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 the day before we left, it rained all day. And we'll, Jeff and I are sitting under this tarp. Lost a half a dozen lures that I mentioned I lost my favorite fishing pole. I had two fishing poles. I lost one. I won't get into that. It was interesting. It's at the bottom of the lake, Harrison Lake in Ohio, okay? And you might think, Brother Uzi, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound like a very good trip, okay? I'm sitting under a tarp with my son Jeff. It's raining. We can't go fishing. But you know why life is very good? Because we're eating New York strip steak wrapped in bacon. Potatoes, okay, that are kind of like twice baked. If you've ever put a potato, wrapped it in tinfoil, and you put it in the coals of a, of a campfire, and you just let it sit there and, and, and rotate it. Again, we had nothing else to do because it was raining all day, okay? But, boy, the potatoes with melted butter, sour cream, a New York strip steak, cut in strips, wrapped in bacon, you know, all of a sudden, life is good. I know I lost a half a dozen lures. I know I lost my fishing pole. I know it's raining and I'd rather be fishing. But you know why life is good? Because you're eating good. Hey, God doesn't promise you that it's never going to rain. God doesn't promise you life will be free of problems because that is not true. Okay? But it's amazing how difficult it is to have a bad day when you're eating good food. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. You say, Brother Woosley, I picked fur and not scales. Okay, that's debatable. I would rather lose my sense of taste than lose the ability to see in color. Okay, that's debatable. But eating good food, getting killed with a sword, that is not debatable, right? We want to eat good food. Wash you, make you clean, learn to do well, help others.